them in our lives. And we get a chance, we get a chance every single time we sing these songs, we get a chance to um, uh, let the Holy Spirit take those words of profound and powerful truth and plant them deeper into our hearts. You know, I've been, uh, as I've been praying about what to speak on today, I'm thinking, man, I've, I've already done my, uh, you, you got a thing going yet? Let the flow happen, uh, Jeremy. Flow. Flow. No fear, Jeremy. No fear. Because you're standing in love, my friend. Um, I was thinking, you know, uh, we've talked, Elsie talked about abiding in Christ. Um, I talked a bit about, at some point I talked about knowing who we are in Christ. I'm thinking it's time for us to move on to another sort of message that would, uh, you know, be a, a different topic. But I can't seem to get away from this idea that we need to spend just, uh, just, just a bit more time on giving the Lord a chance to speak to our hearts about who we are in Him, our identity in Him. Because it's so crucial. Last week, I listened to um, uh, Joyce talk on identity and, he and inner healing. I talked about identity and, and the Father's love, receive, receiving the Father's love that gives us a sense of security in who we are. Because, and the importance, of talking about, the importance of talking about identity has to do with the fact that when we know who we are, when we're settled about who we are in Christ. Did anybody see me put my password in? When we, when, we, when we focus on learning truly in our heart of hearts who we are, then we, we get to fully understand what our purpose is, what God's ordained purpose for our life is. A sort of starting point is not trying to figure out what my purpose is, the starting point is figuring out who am I in Christ. Like the great uh, St. Augustine, an amazing uh, um, prophet and teacher and a man that we, after all these years, um, 2,000 years, we still value what he has to say. He said, Lord, make me know you so that I may know myself. Make me know you so that I may know myself. There's nobody on this planet who can fully understand who they are apart from knowing, first of all, who God is, and then secondly, who God has made them to be. Come on. God has, come on. I got, my, I got my cheering section right here already. Shika Baba. Okay, uh, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your beautiful presence. In this place, we thank you for awesome worship. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather like this, even on a beautiful uh, summer day. Summer days that are becoming fewer and fewer. Lord, so we seize the moment and we gather together in this place to worship the one true God, the one who's worthy of our praise, the one who's worthy of adoration. And we really, really do love you, Jesus. We do love your presence. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love everything about you. We love the fact that you came, that you funneled yourself down into a human zygote and you became this human being. And you lived and you suffered and you died because of your great and awesome love for us. We're forever grateful to you, Jesus. 
for what you've done for us. We're forever grateful for the example you've set for us. Someone who, who did everything totally dependent on the leading of his Father in heaven and on the presence of the Spirit of God with him. Thank you, Jesus. You're so lovable. You're so worthy of our adoration. And we ask that you would just continue to flow and move in our midst in this place. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Make this real to our hearts. Take it even deeper, I ask, as we talk about who we are in you. Take it deeper into our hearts. And I, I'm asking for transformation, Lord. I'm asking for transformation for every single hungry heart in this room. That we would go from glory to glory. We would put aside the old covenant. We would put aside religious ideas and, and philosophies. And we'll walk in the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Because we are your children. Come Holy Spirit. Let it be in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was sitting during worship, I was saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to pray for people who, are, who may be sick. Can you give me some words of knowledge? As soon as I said, can you give me some words of knowledge, I had a picture, a very faint picture of the shampoo, head and shoulders. So we're just going to go with it. We're just going to go with it. So if anybody has like head problems, you have, do you have migraines? Anybody has migraines? You may not have a migraine right now because you wouldn't probably be here if you had a migraine. But if you have a migraine or you, or you deal, you suffer with migraines. Anybody like that in this room? Okay. Oh, Wendy, can you please stand? If, if, you, if you're dealing with migraines or any sort of head, head and shoulder issues, head, so, so um, fogginess, uh, any kind of, you can't think straight, whatever, any, any, anything to do with the head, with your neck, if you've got soreness in your neck, Continual soreness in your neck if you have shoulder problems, if you have rotator cuff. Does, it, does anybody have any issues with your rotator cuffs? Cuff? You do. Yeah, I, I, that, I felt that word, rotator cuff. Okay, so Father, we just ask you to come right now. Lord, you gave us this, these words because you want to do something. You're not just doing this just for, just for fun or for or for games, but you actually want to bring your love. You want to demonstrate in a tangible way your love and your, and your care for these people, the, the ones who are standing. So, Lord, would you come right now by, by your beautiful presence, and I ask for a, the healing virtue of Jesus to flow into this room, to touch the ones with head problems, with shoulder problems, with neck problems. We speak healing in the name of Jesus. Come like a mighty river, Holy Spirit, and release your healing presence. Touch your people and set them free. We give you glory, we give you honor. We speak to the rotator cuff. Holy Spirit, would you go to the root and would you rework and rewire and, and fix whatever needs to be fixed. I ask for the, I speak to the cartilage and to the sinews and to the muscles. Be restored. Be restored. Be restored in Jesus' mighty name. Just keep coming, Holy Spirit. Just keep coming.
Okay, amen. Let us know how it is afterwards. So, so, so earlier this morning, as I was thinking about what to share, oh, sorry, not what to share, but, but having, asking God for some clarity on, on how do I get this across. Um, this, again, this image of a, of a, of a tree uh, popped into my mind. It wasn't quite that beautiful a tree. It was just an image of a tree that popped into my mind. So I went, so I did what everybody does in 2019, and I Googled it tree cross section of a tree with roots and that's what that's one of the pictures that came up so here's what I here's what I want to say you are the tree everybody you are the tree everybody say I am a tree planted by rivers of living water bringing forth fruit in every season okay so we are trees okay that's meant to be a tree where does the, the nutrition for that tree come from? It comes from the roots. You guys are farmers. Amazing. So, so, if, we, so if we were to put, if we were to put uh, manure and good stuff on the surface where the grass is showing, would, would it have any impact on the growth of the tree? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, that's the answer I'm looking for. Whether it was true or not, the answer I'm looking for is no. Because the nutrients come from the roots, not from the top soil. Okay, ask a farmer's daughter over here. The, the nutrients, or, or the tree gets its nutrients from its roots. And so the point is that if the soil, the bottom soil, is full of nutrients, nitrates and everything else that's necessary, then the tree would flourish. Imagine if just off to the left of that, of that image was a toxic waste dump that's been there for a couple of years. And so the, the chemistry from the top, the, from, the, from, the, from the waste dump, the chemicals uh, seeped into the soil and it affected the roots of that tree. What, what would happen to the tree before too long? The tree would die. It would get really damaged and it would suffer. So... Uh, here's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, it's so important, and that's why we at Catch the Fire love to make this emphasis. Right? It's so important for us to deal with the root issues in our hearts. Right? We, we continually speak about going for the root, dealing with the root. So somebody offends you, okay, so you get offended. Well, the, the second question to ask, or the first question to ask is, Lord, what in me caused me to be offended? What root issue do I have in my life that caused me to be offended? Was it rejection? Was it neglect? Was it whatever it is? So we go to the root, because once we deal with the root, then our lives will flourish. If we only deal with the stuff on the topsoil, if we only speak prophetic, uh, if we only speak words, why, is, why did I go off? Anybody knows? If we only, uh, so we can have, we can have, 
positive confessions, okay? We can make all kinds of positive, positive confessions, but that, but that only lands on the top surface. It isn't going to get, unless, unless we learn how to take the good stuff from the topsoil and bring it down into the roots, then there will be no impact on us. We can confess that we're blue in the face, but if our hearts, if our roots are already contaminated, there will be no impact. Does that make sense? It's only that one that's going off, is that right? Or are they all going off? Oh. What do you think that's happening? Holy, Holy Spirit, come and help us out. Help out a brother. He doesn't know what's going on with his technical stuff. Make it work, Jesus. Right, so the point of all this is simply this. Getting to the roots, and especially when we come to talk about identity, it's so crucial that we understand who we are, who we have been made to be. Because I don't know about you, in my own personal life, I know that I'm not living to the, in the fullness of my purpose. I'm not living to the fullness of my potential because my soil, my soil has been contaminated by a toxic waste dump, which is the world system, which is also my personal family history, which includes things like neglect, which includes, includes things, many orphan-type tendencies, like drivenness, like... like uh, Fear. Fear is a huge one in my family. You can, I, can trace, I can trace fear, fearfulness, being afraid of every single thing in my family. And that's affected me. And so that's why we say fear cannot stand a chance when I stand in your love. Because perfect love casts out fear. And we can sing that and, and, and declare it to be true, and it is true, but we have to find a way to make that truth go from the topsoil of our lives down into the roots, displacing all the other lies, so we can have a flourishing life, as we were meant to have. Beautiful. Amen? Good word? Oh, Ramesh, you're doing all right so far, my, my brother. All right, so, we, so this is what we're talking about, identity, going to the roots, and dealing with stuff, Okay. Fruit of living your identity in Christ. We're all about identity. All right. Everybody's read my blog. Who reads my blog? Show of hands. All right. So last week, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a blog. And I came across, as I was thinking about identity again, I came across this wonderful fable. I think it may be an African story, but it wasn't indicated so I, I didn't want to assume that it was. So I'm going to quickly tell you this fable. Okay, there was this, there was this uh, cub, a lion, a baby lion. And this baby lion, that's a big lion, uh, the, the baby lion happened to end up living among a bunch of, a flock of sheep. What really happened was that her, uh, the, the cub's mother was, was hunting and she saw these, this flock of, of sheep. And so she was pregnant with this cub. And so she, but she was hungry. So she went after, the, uh, went after the flock to find food to eat, find a lamb to eat. And in the process of, of, getting, of grabbing a lamb, she gave birth without even knowing it. And so this cub, and it's a fable, everybody. <laughs> the, the, the cub ended up 
living among these uh, sheep. And so this cub grew up into, uh, grew up as part of this flock, and it, it, as it grew, it began to look like a lion, beautiful mane, it was a male lion, beautiful mane coming there, and, and, but the trouble was, it bleated like a sheep, it ate grass like a sheep, like everybody else did, and it just lived like a sheep. Until one day, another lioness, because lions really don't do the hunting, you realize that, right? It's the lionesses, lionesses who do most of the hunting. A lioness came, and she saw this flock, and she was hungry, and she, saw, and she thought this is food. So she begins to attack, but in the process of attacking, she sees this lion. And this lion was running away from her at top speed with his tail between his legs, running away, hiding. So the, 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 the lioness was baffled by this. And her, her, um, her intrigue, her curiosity about this lion who was running away overcame her hunger. And so she chased, she chased the lion. And she, she caught up to him. And she grabbed him. And, the lion, says, and the, the, the lion, this one, said, Please don't eat me. Please don't eat me. Yeah, read my blog. And, uh, and so she, she, she realized, because he was bleating at her, so she realized there's something really strange about this. So she grabs this lion and by his mane and pulls him to a nearby watering hole, pushes his head in, and so he could see his reflection. And she says, you are not a sheep. You are a lion, just like me. You're not meant to eat grass. You're not meant to bleat. You're meant to roar. You're meant to, to hunt for prey and to eat good meat. And so, yeah, the Lion King, the baby's name was Simba. Um, so the, 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 lion, the lion said, um, and so the lion says, you come with me to my father's den, and I will, we will teach you how to be a lion like you were designed to be. Amen? So the lion says, yes, I will come with you because I want to know who I was meant to be and how I'm, uh, how I'm meant to live. So that's my fable. It's not about lions and everybody. Okay, it's not about lions. It's about you and me. We were meant, we were designed to be sons and daughters of the living God. We are meant to be co-rulers with Jesus. So, the, so my desire is that for me and for everybody else who I have influence over, we would, we would grow as we grow in our faith, we would grow into our awareness in an increasing measure of who we are in God so that we can actually begin to co-rule with Him. We have, these things have, have already been given to us. We could be bad co-rulers or we could be good co-rulers. When Jesus died on the cross and the Spirit of God came and filled us, all of this has been, a, has been made available to us. Whether we access it, them, or not, is our issue, our choice, our responsibility. Amen? 
So let's turn in our Bibles, or we can look on the screen, to Romans chapter, I didn't put the, the, the citation, but this is Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 14 to 17 or 19, somewhere there. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you to pay attention, because I'm going to be asking you this question. Here's the question I'm going to ask you, and you need to shout out, shout out to me, because this is going to be an interactive time. Shout out to me. What is the fruit of the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives? When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, what is the evidence, what is the fruit, what are the outcomes of the Spirit of God being involved and active and present in our lives? Okay, that's the question. I wrote down six things, just to give you some, some parameters, some boundaries. I wrote down six things. Maybe, maybe you may see. Maybe you may see more things, but there are at least six things. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Everybody say adoption to sonship. I'll talk in a moment about how important that phrase is. That phrase is repeated five times in the New Testament. It has this very specific and powerful meaning. Adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. His name isn't Abba, Father, everybody. His name is Abba, right? People who speak two languages understand this. The guy is right, uh, Paul is writing to the Romans. And so he's using this word, Abba, because that's an Aramaic word, that's a Middle Eastern language. The people in Rome would not know what Abba is until he told them it means pat, it's pater, which is a Greek word for father. So, so God's name isn't Abba Father. His God name is, God's name in this case is Abba, Aramaic, translated pater or father. Okay? Just a side point. The Spirit testifies with your spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, shout out to me. What are some of the things that the Spirit of God does and makes uh, available to us um, when he comes into our lives? When we say yes to Jesus and the Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. Shout out everybody. From this passage, everybody, from this passage, I just read the passage to you. From this passage, huh? What? No fear. Come on, no fear, no fear, no fear. It says it right there, plain as day. No fear. No fear of what? Well, the context is, I'll tell you quickly, no fear of, why is that happening? No fear of punishment. No fear of punishment. Because before that, Paul was explaining that when we first when we followed the law, uh, our, our incapacity, our incapability to, to, to meet the law made us aware of our weaknesses, made us afraid that we were going to be judged by God. He says, now when we're following the Spirit, when we're in Christ and following the Spirit, there's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of punishment. John says that elsewhere. The, uh, John, uh, 1 John says, perfect love casts out fear. We already said that. Okay? 
So there's no fear of punishment. There's no fear of failure. Okay, next one. Children of God. Children of God. Amen. Children of God. Yes. Yes, children of God. Anybody else? Anything else? Heirs. We are heirs. Heirs of God, which means that that because God is our Father now, we call him Abba, right? Uh, we, we inherit everything that he has. And because Jesus is our brother, we, we are now co-heirs with him. And of course, in, in, or, in order for there to be an inheritance, there has to be a death. And of course, Jesus died, but then he rose again from the dead. So everything that Jesus died to make available to us is ours. We have access to and just don't think I'm talking about money and fancy cars. That's ridiculous. I'm talking about abundant life. I'm talking about the fullness of, I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about, about, about being free of anxiety and fear and being free of things that so easily encumber us. That's what I'm talking about. That's the freedom that Jesus, that's the inheritance that Jesus makes available to us. Some of us also get money, but that's another point. Okay, what else? We heard about slavery. Sorry, we heard about fear. Nobody mentioned slaves yet. We heard about uh, being children. We heard about being heirs. A couple more. Quickly, quickly. Shout out, shout out. The passage is there. Which? I can't hear. What? Suffering. Suffering. Very good. That was not on my list. Very good. Suffering is part of the deal. Anybody else? Glory, yes. Suffering and glory always go together, by the way. Do a search sometime in your Bible and you plug it into your smartphone Bible. Take the word suffering, capitalize and, and glory. Suffering and glory, and you'll see that there are many verses where those two things go together, suffering and glory. Next point. Who else? Shout, shout, shout. No longer slaves. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. No longer slaves. That was my number one on my list. No longer slaves. Slaves to what? What have we been slaves to? Because you may say, I, 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 you know, I grew up in Canada and I've never been a slave. You've been slaves to something. And if the context is, we have been slaves to sin, everybody. We have been slaves to sin. We have been slaves to living in the flesh only. And by the way, for, for guys especially, living in the flesh or, or uh, whenever the Bible talks about flesh, we're not talking about sinful, I mean, uh, sexual stuff only, okay? Living by the flesh means living by our natural, broken humanness, okay? And so exhibiting uh, living in the flesh would be lying, would be cheating our taxes, would be ang getting angry un unjustifiably, and all this slew, a slew uh, Galatians chapter 5, you can read the list there as one example. Okay. We are no longer slaves to living by the flesh. doesn't mean we're, we're perfect or we never sin, but, but, but living by the flesh should never be our aim, our desire, or our practice. We should be living by the Spirit. And when we live by the Spirit, according to Romans 6, 7, 8, if we live by the Spirit, we fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The law has never been thrown away. That's a lie from the devil. The law is eternal. The law is good. But the way to fulfill the law 
as believers in Jesus, is not to be focused on the law necessarily, but to be focused on living in the Spirit, living, being led by the Spirit. And as we do that, a byproduct is that we will meet the right through righteous requirements of the law. Amen? Amen. This is pretty good teaching here, Ramesh. You're doing good. Let me just mention adoption to sonship because we have to go a bit faster. This whole idea of just speaking for half an hour is a challenge for a guy like me. Okay. Adoption to sonship. Um, in, in, in the NIV, it gives you a good example because the new version of the NIV, which is this translation, they're trying really hard to be sort of uh, gender inclusive. And, and so they, they instead, you know, I'll give you an example. Anybody speak Spanish in this room? I know a bit of Spanish. I know a little Greek as well. He has a convenience store down the street. Um, uh, Spanish. If you say hermanos, hermanos, uh, literally, hermanos means brothers. But if you speak into an audience like this, it could also apply to male and female. All right? So the NIV is trying to take that reality into, into uh, into account when they translate. This is probably an unnecessary explanation, but I'm telling you anyway. Uh, however, they kept this phrase, adoption to sonship. They didn't go adoption to sonship and daughtership because the adoption to sonship is actually a very powerful legal word that Paul uses here. And by the way, again, Paul from the middle, grew up in the Middle East, but he knows Roman and Greek culture, and he knows the people in Rome whom, whom he had never ha hadn't met up to this point. And so he knows their mindset, he knows the way they think, and, they, and he knows that they would understand this concept called adoption to sonship. Because in Roman culture, especially in the upper echelons, when you, when you had the ruling classes, they would um, offer their sons, their eldest son, uh, for political reasons, um, for, for adoption. So adoption was very, very common, especially adoption of, of males, of young, older sons. And, and so once one family gave their son to another family, in fact, the Greek word is huio tesia. Huio means son, tesia means uh, place before. So the, the adoption process, adoption to sonship is huiotasia, which is I'm taking my son and I'm placing him before you. And in that process, that very legal and profound process, the, the family that adopts this son, this son becomes as if he were a natural son. He has every single right every single inheritance, every single thing that that family, his adoptive family has, is now his. He has full access to that. Okay? Useless information, I suppose. But here's the point. Paul is using this phrase because he's saying that's what it's like when God brought us into his family. That he has given us this privileged place. He's, we, we've been placed before him in a legal sense. We were placed before him. And so everything that he owns, everything that belongs to him, is now legally ours. Legally ours. It's wild, man. It's totally wild. Because I've been living a good chunk of my life 
uh, knowing that there is a, a buffet, a smorgasbord of, of gorgeous food, even some keto-friendly food in front of me, all right? And it's been laid out before me, but I haven't had the freedom to access what God has made available to me because of the toxicity of my, of my early childhood growing up and my negative self-image and all these other things. And what the Lord wants us to do is to fully understand who we are so that we have the freedom to access what God has made available to us. Amen? I'm going to... you guys mind if I go a bit longer than whatever? Um, I'm speaking. So, you know... Have you ever... I heard this in, uh, from Chris Vallotton recently down in, in Vegas. He's a very funny guy. But here's the point he, he, he made, um, or he drew, he drew out. He said, have you ever noticed that of Jesus' disciples, the 12 guys that hung around Jesus... Uh, Matthew 18 and Luke, tw- uh, I think it's 24, somewhere in there. Uh, it says that all the disciples, all 12 of them, they were vying to figure out who is the greatest among them. Who is the greatest among them? In another translation, another passage, another thing. Um, the mother of John and James got involved. Okay, but that's a side point. But here's the point. These guys were spending time with Jesus. They were fishermen from a different place, okay? Supposedly uneducated, just regular Joes, regular guys. But they were spending time with Jesus. And they spent so much time with him that one of the outcomes of spending time with Jesus is that they're concerned to figure out who among us is the greatest, who is the best among us. Who is the champion of the 12? Who is, who is the greatest? Does that, does that not startle you a little bit when you think about it? Because here's these guys. Because our version of Christianity is, our version of humility in Christianity is, well, don't, don't try to be anybody. Let's, be, let's just be a worm because God loves me because I'm a worm. Right? And that's the mentality that many of us grew up with. That's our, our, our understanding of, of humility. But Jesus, but the people who spent time with Jesus, they're thinking, man, I'm, I'm not just a guy from Galilee. I am the greatest among you because Jesus, I'm hanging with Jesus. What was my point in all that? It's simply this. Of course, they weren't quite right, all right? We understand that. But the point is that they had the freedom to explore their capacities beyond themselves. They were saying, I'm the greatest of, uh, among you, not because of who I am in me, but because Jesus has been speaking words. Like St. Augustine says, that God loves every single one of us, just like if there's only one of us. That's a beautiful statement, powerful. God loves each one of us like we are the only ones that he loves. That's how God loves us. So profound. God loves you just like if there's nobody else to love. He loves you. He even loves you, Thomas. He loves you like there's nobody else to love. Just, just let that sink in. Just let that sink into your heart. This is how God loves me. Like if I am the greatest. 
Like, I, like, like if I'm the only one he's able to pour his affection over. Just let that, don't, don't just let those be words. Just let, it's true. Let it just sink into our hearts. Because it's only when we know who we are in him are we going to be able to do the things he's called us to do, whatever it may be, whether it's in business or work or, or in ministry, or whatever God calls us to do, we all have different pathways to, to walk on in this life. But my deepest desire for me and for everybody else in this room, and those that are part of our church who are on holidays or whatever, I, my, my prayer, my deepest desire is that we would, be, we would fulfill uh, our purpose, our God-given purpose. And that nothing, nothing would stymie, would limit, not even our own brokenness would limit what God is capable of doing through us. And God isn't going to do it apart from us. We're in partnership with him. We are co-heirs with Christ. We're co-rulers with Christ. So God isn't going to force, foist anything on us. He's going to woo us and draw us and hopefully we catch on to who we are in him and who he is to us and, and we learn to walk with him. We learn to embrace who we are so we can live out what he's called us to be. Is this making sense to anybody? So, to wrap up, because 12.07, I got a bunch more things to say, but I'll just leave all of that. I, I guess I must say this part. How to connect. How to connect with sonship. Listen, everybody. How to connect with sonship. From my own experience, I listened to great teaching on, on, on who we are in Christ, that we're sons and daughters of the King, and it's not going to happen in one message or two messages. It's going to be a lifetime of making choices, big ones and small ones, choices to, to believe and to choose to believe that we are God's favored sons. Especially when there's crisis, especially when there's difficulty, especially when the world, our circumstances scream otherwise, we choose to believe that what the Bible says about us is actually true and that we really are his sons and daughters. That we are royalty, we are royalty, we are royalty, we're humble royalty. So one of the ways that we do this is that we meditate on scriptures. We meditate on, especially those passages that speak about sonship, like Romans 8, like Galatians 4, like Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is an amazing passage. The first, the second part of Ephesians, of Ephesians 1 speaks about uh, it starts by saying that he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to list a whole series in one breath, one sentence. He didn't take a pause. He, pause. he was so excited as, as he was writing that he didn't even stop to put uh, punctuation. He just let this whole thing flow for the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. You can read it. Meditate on those verses. And, and, uh, and by the way, when I say meditate, I actually mean take time to read slowly chunks of the Bible. Those of you, of you who are part of, my, of this church, you know that I talk, I talk about the importance of reading the Bible, and, and I talk about reading through the Bible you know, in a year, and that's, that has its value as well, obviously. But I think the, I'm coming to the conclusion that the greater value is taking small chunks of the Bible 
and prayerfully meditating on it and asking God, Lord, in this little passage, can you speak to me? Can you make this come alive to me? Because that's what brings transformation. It's not just reading the Bible from, from cover to cover. I've done that. And look how sinful I am. Sorry. Uh, it, it's, it's meditating on the Word of God and asking the Holy Spirit to make it live in our hearts. It's letting it go from the topsoil down to the roots, right? One of the ways we do that is by meditation. Another way that we, that, that, that we, that we uh, grow in this is, the, is something that we don't really emphasize as much as we should, and that's soaking in the Spirit. That's one of the things that we did a, a lot back in the day, in the heyday of the renewal, and even in the early days of our church. On some Friday nights, we used to take Friday nights to be a soaking night. And we would move the chairs aside. We'd have somebody playing either, uh, either music instrumentally or live We'd have somebody playing music, and we'd lay down on the floor, and we'd soak in God's presence. We weren't praying intercessory prayers. We weren't praying petition prayers. We weren't trying to get anything from God. All we were doing is we were sitting and lying in His presence just to be in His presence, just to be with Him. No agenda apart from that. And of course, God being God always gave us stuff. Always gave us stuff. So soaking in, in his presence is, I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the great, um, one of the great uh, challenges to offer orphan thinking where we feel we have to be doing in order to earn God's approval, we always have to be doing. One of the challenges will be just to sit quietly doing nothing for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Every single fiber in my being would, would cry, come on, man, I got stuff to do. I got people to call. I got emails to write. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. Well, how about we just dial all that down and just put priority on being in his presence, just giving unadulterated time, focused time, just for five minutes, ten minutes, just for him. We'll see the fruit in our lives. We have to sort of re-ignite uh, that. We then ask, the next step is to ask the Holy Spirit to show us our orphan ways. Lord, what in me does not line up with sonship? What in me? Am I, being, am I driven? Are my motivations for life insecurity? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it this, that, the other? There's a whole list. Read my blog. I, if you click on, on, on my blog, that bottom there it takes you to a list of, of, of um, orphan tendencies. And then finally... Get in contact with relationships, whether in church or small group, or the relationships that actually feed you, that actually help you grow in in your awareness of who you are, calling out the gold in you, calling out the best in you that God's already put in you, calling that forward. Surround yourself with people like that. Make those your primary relationships, not your only relationships, but your primary relationships. And life will go well with you. Amen. Let's all stand. I've gone over time. And I'm not sorry. Shikaraba. Just grab the hand of somebody close by. If you're single, you know, be careful.